0: Hi, this is the Marketing Connect Podcast. 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 A show where we get up close and personal with some of the most celebrated marketeers in the country. we we'll talk to them and discover nuances of marketing that we often miss. After all, we are a show for marketeers, by marketers. Listen in. Welcome to the season, second season of Marketing Connect podcast. For the very first episode, I have with me Rohit Call, who has a super interesting profile. I would let uh, Rohit talk to you about it. Over to you, Rohit.
1: Hey, Saurabh. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's it's lovely to be here.
0: Thank you, Rohit. Rohit, do you want to give me, give, give my audience a quick intro about you, uh, your journey from the time you passed out of a B-school and what do you do right now?
1: Sure. So uh, right now, I work with HCL in the corporate marketing function, uh, where I manage uh, the brand assets, large brand assets for HCL and also for the not-for-profit Gimata Foundation. Uh, You could say I'm a marketing enthusiast, have spent uh, 13 years in the corporate gig now uh, across sales, marketing, consulting and a bit of education management. And so that's the corporate side of my work. Uh, at the same time, I'm also, uh, you know, what you would say in today's parlance, a side hustler. So I have started many side hustles and I have closed many side hustles. But my current side hustle is a blog called Seeking North, which, uh, on which I write about behavioral science and product management.
0: In fact, uh, for my listeners, it is that Seeking North is, I mean, it caught my eye and I had to chat with Rohit about that because uh, he was doing something that not a lot of people in India uh, typically do. Rohit, you want to talk about uh, how this Seeking North came about? Aapne, how did you start? How did the name came about? What was your thesis? And so on and so forth.
1: So it's a funny story. Uh, so I like, you know, like this podcast, I started a podcast around two and a half years back. It was called masters of brands where i used to you know like talk to cmos and large brand leaders i did it for i think six months before uh, for you know uh, some reasons i shut it down uh, i also realized that maybe i should at that point of time i actually wanted to write about startups and so that is why you know seeking north because that is what typically startups do you know you're ch- chasing some sort of north star metric or a growth metric or uh, something. that is what is seeking north so, obviously, I booked the domain name and I started writing a blog and all uh, but I also realized that if you're not operating in an ecosystem, it's very tough to write about something from the sidelines. So, again, one of the side of I put to rest very quickly but the blog stayed on as in the domain name stayed with me and when I was looking to and I would say around a year back, I started getting interesting in behavioral science and its applications on marketing and product design and product management. So, I looked at... Mm. So I don't know so it's a f- again a funny fact about me. I right now have 13 domain names booked in my name. So whenever I have an idea I'll just go find the domain name which is available and I'll just book it so no one else can book it. So I'm hoping that someday some milliner will come and give me like a million dollar for my domains but yeah not yet. so I look at all the domain names I have and seeking notes sort of felt the you know the, the best fit. So yeah that is why seeking out and that is how it started
0: got it so unrelated story but i also own about i think 19 domain names wow. and same thesis ki, Kabhi koi bada aur, koi Lovely. So, so that that's how it is and in fact what i do is most of my domain names are like three letter four letter vanity ones because these are the ones that are in short supply right i mean these are the ones people want to buy so yeah so okay got this so uh, you're also a competition to me right In a, in a sense that you started podcast about it Three years ago, right, two and a half, three years ago. So you are a competition to me. So tell me, uh, t- let talk to me about the podcast, right? So, how uh, did start? Why did What was the? Uh, uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, what did What did it uh, What did it change for you?
1: So it started on a very personal note. Um, there were two reasons to wait. One was uh, while there is a lot of marketing and branding literature out there which you can read and consume and become better at marketing and branding i kept on feeling that there is still a lot a lot of that is written by people who are actually in the us or in uk or in singapore for that matter there is not a lot of marketing literature which is generated by indian practitioners you know so to say in india typically the profs will write marketing books books and uh, obviously they are great profs and they write great marketing books but it sort of that there is a gap in the market you know so to say so i felt yeah i think it will be good to get some uh, practitioners point of view uh into the fold. and podcasts seem to be the easiest medium to do because it's a recording quick editing and we're out there rather than you know like talking to someone over email and getting lengthy posts out and everything so that was one reason why it started and second of course as i said you know i like to have some sort of side hustle uh In fact, I call it like a second career and I don't know, I wrote a post way back uh, on my blog, you know, which talks about it. Everyone should have a second career Uh, without any offense to the first career, which first career is definitely important because that is what pays the bill. (laughs) But uh, it's always good to have second career for a variety of reasons. So that is how the podcast started. I reached out to a lot of uh, CMOs, senior brand leaders, and almost everyone was very generous with their time. So, you know, uh, like people like Karan, who's now with DLF, Amit Tiwari of Havel's, Arif, who was then with Accord Hotels, I think now has moved on, Sajit Pai, who was then a marketer and now he's a venture capitalist. So, uh, people are very, very uh, generous with their time. Uh, and I had a good run of uh, six episodes. Before which uh, I realized two things. One, three years, this is almost two and a half, three years back, it was slightly ahead of curve for podcasting in India because podcasting was, uh, it was way, like, you know, way niche at that point of time. And uh, second, obviously, uh, there were work pressure, there were some family constraints, and figuring out product and distribution at the same time is quite a tricky thing, is what I realized. So that's the reason yeah that's the reason i felt i i basically ran out of steam trying to do both product and distribution at the same time so yeah that was the thing.
0: so so here's a funny anecdote i don't know if this will make it to the podcast as in the final recording or not but podium and marketing connect also was a side hustle for me and my partner and uh, luckily unluckily i had a partner and he is one of those people who likes to build companies on day zero, he said that hum is na. Kabhi nahi ho let's put a team together. So he hired like three people on day zero to sort of run the podcast. So I have somebody who does guest outreach. There is somebody who does distribution and there is somebody who does, uh, you know, um, the technology PR part for us, editing and and, and uh, other things. So I think I was lucky with Akshay as my partner there, to be honest. But but I, I hear what you're he saying. That's a very valid uh, uh, input so and, and couple of names that he mentioned are obviously familiar Sajita is sort of know uh, fairly okay Amit is one of the guests in this season so I've already spoken to him briefly so we will probably do a recording next week sometime I don't know when that will happen uh, the other gentleman RF I'm not aware of that person but Amit is still with Hevels and he is still is keen on doing the podcast anyhow so tell me uh, for my listeners who don't understand what behavioral marketing is behavioral psychology is uh, give me a 101 and try to uh demystify what behavioral psychology behavioral marketing essentially is so
1: behavioral science is essentially understanding how humans think and operate it's, it's as a simplest one-line definition of that and uh, people call it uh, i mean psychology but uh, behavioral science is slightly wider than psychology psychology is like a part of it because then there are other aspects to it which involves say, economic decisions or social deci- decisions, cultural nuances, which along with psychology sort of all fold into behavioral sciences. Again, this is my way of looking at it. And there are people who look at it differently and people are more stringent about, you know, definitions. But this is the way I look at it. Uh, as I said, you know, it's to how to understand human beings. And when you're understanding human beings, you know, that can be applied to a number of contexts. You know, that can be applied to marketing, that can be applied to finance, that can be applied to operations. Like you can literally apply those concepts anywhere. Of course, you have to first understand the context and the relevance and is it needed, not needed. But yeah, that is what behavioral science is. The part of behavioral science I try to focus on is where behavioral science meets product management and marketing, which is something in your B-school and in my B-school, we read a course called Consumer Behavior know i think we all sort of had the con books and consumer books so that is consumer behavior uh, and behavior science sort of builds on top of this so this is what behavior science is
0: in fact in fact i was lucky to have studied with this professor called uh, uh, sanjay bakshi and he would teach us uh, behavioral finance i mean he would use behavioral psychology for finance uh, i think he taught it at I am Lucknow as well i'm not sure if you studied from him but but he would give us all these uh, interesting anecdotes so so tell me, uh, give me a couple of examples of uh, behavioral psychology in, in uh, application in marketing. So there are a number
1: of such applications, you know. Uh, I can give you a very simple or rather simplistic one. You know, when you are searching for any product on Amazon, for that matter, you know. Uh, you are searching for um, a pair of pillows you know, uh, on Amazon. So Amazon will do a couple of things. You will see... Uh, Batch which will say best seller, and given that there are hundreds and thousands of choices, you may gravitate towards a bestseller sort of a choice. Amazon is saying bestseller, so it must be a bestseller, right? That's the that's one of the thoughts. Right? Uh, the other is when you are looking at it, Amazon will show you a deal, which it will say that expiring in 10 hours or 1 hour or something like that, right uh then it will also show you ratings and reviews for for all the products five star rating four star rating it will give you options to filter so at a very simplistic level amazon is utilizing a few biases one is when it says the best seller so again so before we go there bias is something which is inherent in all of us as human beings and these biases are result of our experiences our culture also millions of years of evolution so a bias is something where you are rationally expected to behave in a certain way but you deviate from it and you deviate from it in a predictable manner that if i give you x stimulus you will do y output if it happens for a long enough period of time or long enough number of stimuli then it becomes a bias so all of us have biases and by showing us a bestseller tab or a a badge Amazon is uh, sort of uh, playing into our authority bias. We all hold Amazon at a high pedestal, and you know, if, uh, it's like you know that WhatsApp university thing. If WhatsApp pay, <laughs> Amazon is saying it's uh, bestseller, then it must be a bestseller. No one questions it. Right? That's 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 one. The ratings and rankings are Amazon us- using it. Uh, the so- social bias, social proof bias. We are social animals. We like to see and do things that people around us are doing so if i provide you with two pillow brand options and where you don't know any of the brands neither of the brands none of the brands are known to you and one has a rating of three and one has a rating of 4.5 more often you will pick up a 4.5 rating than a 3 rating it's standard human behavior most people follow that it's social proof bias right and uh by doing by showing us that uh, ticker that a deal is going to be over in 10 hour or one hour and running lightning deal and all it's playing on something called loss aversion bias so as human beings we are happy to have a gain but we are almost twice or thrice as much sad to have a loss of similar potential so if you get 100 rupees you're happy but if you lose 100 rupees that's much more painful than getting 100 rupees so, by doing that, it is prompting you that, you know, if you don't do it, next 10 hours, the on is going to end. So, it's playing on your law of subversion bias. So, it's as simple as that, you know. And these examples are everywhere. Uber, Amazon, Netflix, Canva, all large companies, uh, Starbucks, all large companies, sort of work on this.
0: Got this. So, uh, next question, moving on to the next question. Tell me, um, if if somebody were to get started, to, uh, started into this behavioral psychology and marketing kind of a uh, uh, career obviously they can start by reading your blog, but but what other sources, teacher, resources, teachers, people that they can follow? Who are some of the bigger ones in this uh, industry, in this, in this in this in this discipline? Right.
1: So behavior science is a huge discipline, and it is something which is now taking more prominence, especially you know with the COVID scenario. Behavior science suddenly has become very uh, well known. I would say you know so the awareness of the discipline is going up. I have taken an approach of getting self-taught in behavioral sciences. And in fact, the field I work on is more behavioral economics and behavior sciences because I'm more interested in marketing, transactions, and also that's more behavioral economics. Uh, there are other aspects to behavioral sciences about motivation and cultural this thing, which I won't get into. But if you don't, one is you can be self-taught, you know, you can pick up books and podcasts. So if uh, so, there's one option. Second way is to uh, do structured education. So there are uh, again there are two ways there. If you want to be formally educated, there are reputed universities in UK and US which offer uh, both undergrad and grad level courses. For example, King's College London offers a course, and Oxford University offers uh, you know programs, these are MSc level programs, and again undergrad programs uh harvard university has a behavioral economics group so they offer their own uh, undergrad and grad level program so they are there uh, in india also there are universities i believe ashoka offers a economics program which has a significant part of behavioral economics and of course there are psychology degrees and uh, you know undergrad and grad level there are other ways to have you know more structured uh, approach to it by doing online courses, and uh, given that uh, in-person courses are not happening anymore, so I would say there are uh, courses by a guy called Richard Shotton, who is a well-known writer of a book called Choice Factory. He runs his course on 42 courses, so that is one course. The other is by uh, Ogilvy UK by Rory Sutherland, Sam Tatum. All of them are like you know uh, one of the uh, I would say torchbearers of this discipline. It's available on a website called Mindworks Academy. It's a great course, I've done it, it's very good. Last, I would say, if you have to look at it in a more structured manner, and you have to go back to the basics, without necessarily looking into marketing or product management, there's a course on edits by Dilip Soman, who is a professor in University of Toronto, and I would say one of the best teachers of behavioral economics I've like ever come across. So that course is definitely a must do if you are seriously interested in uh, behavior economics.
0: Got this and tell me just just curiosity I mean I'm scratching my curiosity so if I were to do all these courses and become let's say super good at uh, understanding these biases um, are there career options available right now that specifically ask for these skills or it's just a I mean just a sweeping trend right now around us?
1: So the career options are there uh i'm not so sure about the indian companies offering this career options but uh there is something called the chief behavioral officer which companies like lemonade companies like netflix company like google grab uber they all have these designation and because there's a designation, there are large departments they run of course these departments intersect with data science because a lot of these discussions are theory based discussions so then you ab test them and you know you map user journeys and all so behavioral science and behavioral scientists are, I mean, if you just go, if you have to go to Glassdoor right now and do a quick behavioral uh, science or data science, behavioral science uh, uh, job search, we'll find a number of opening across Google, Grab, Uber, Lyft, all these companies utilize this. I am yet to see that strong trend in India so far. So in India, the options right now seem to be more gravitating towards uh, academic uh, side. You know, you can become a prof or you can start your own online course and uh, make some money.
0: Uh, the next question is: Tell me, um, as as somebody who's uh, who's a big advocate of side hustles and has a demanding uh, you know day job, uh, how do you? Uh, what is your productivity mantra? How do you ensure that you track things on a day to day basis?
1: I am trying to find it out. If I find it, or I'll definitely <laughs> tell you. But uh, productivity is honestly a shifting goalpost. Uh, there are days when you feel you're super productive and then there are days you feel uh, like honestly like uh, terrible that oh I've spent the entire day doing this there are three or four things which work for me which I'm happy to share uh, they're not like a mantra or anything these are more like uh, things I've learned from uh, personal experiences first thing I've realized is that to-do lists are don't work for me they don't work at all for me what works is calendarizing things so if I calendarize it uh, that thing gets done So any heavy duty item, like for example, recording of this podcast, writing a blog post for my newsletter, reviewing some work of my team at office, or launching a marketing campaign and reviewing it. So I put it in my calendar. I block half an hour, one hour, whatever. I have to block 15 minutes, whatever. But I put it in my calendar. So if it is in my calendar, it gets done. Any light items, like today I have to order biscuits, I'm out of biscuits, I have to order it from Amazon or wherever. To go by. I put in my to do list. I don't have to structure my to do list into projects or whatever, it's a running to do list. The moment I do something, I strike it off. If it doesn't, I don't do it, it remains there. That's one. Uh, second thing is something which I borrowed from Shane parish Shane parish is the founder of this website, Fernam Street, which is probably, to my mind, the best thing ever to have on the internet. After, of course, internet in that sense, (laughs) mental models and everything. So he, I was into one of his interviews and he made a very important point that a lot of productivity thing talks, you know, podcasts and books talk about tools and processes. What they don't talk about is making the right decision in the first place. So if you make a wrong decision, then you waste that much time chasing a wrong decision, right? So it's like a lot more thought has to be given to making the right decision. So that's one of the things i try to do uh when i'm making a decision i tend to think of it is it a reversible decision is it an irreversible decision if it's reversible i'll just go ahead and do it if it's irreversible i'll think pause deliberate over it maybe postpone it right i'd also think if I, if i can do something in two minutes versus if i can do something in 10 minutes if it's stupid in two minutes i'll do it right now suppose i get a mail i got a mail and i have to respond to it if i can respond in next two minutes i'll respond right now Otherwise, I'll file it. I'll respond it whenever the right calendar item sort of pops up to respond to that. Note, right. So that's second. Third is also slightly philosophical. Uh, you may be thinking I'm going into, you know, slightly philosophical discussion. But uh, again, as I said, these things this is absolutely these okay. things work for me. Absolutely. Okay. Third is from when it comes to productivity, you know, we, uh, again, this is borrowed. This is from a guy called James Paul future if I pronounce his name correctly. He's a very famous. I, I
0: call him Alltucher.
1: Al right. So you know the guy, right? He's a podcaster, investor, writer, lots of things. Right, Phenomenal, phenomenal guy.
0: He does so much work, I have no clue how he does it. Yaar, exactly.
1: He's <laughs> everywhere, all. Right. He's
0: all yeah. over the world, man. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, fourth thing came from him, from one of his interviews with this guy, ramit Sethi, who is again like a productivity groove and everything. So, James said something very fundamental. He said, a lot of us, all the points of time, are time traveling. know we are thinking what will happen in future what will I do tomorrow day after I am launching this product how will it look 10 days from now one year from now I've got 10 subscribers what will it look 30 days from now will I have five subscribers and all is that we should stop time traveling at best focus on the next important stuff what is the next step that you want to take and just focus on that that brings down our anxiety levels bringing down anxiety levels obviously makes us more productive now, this has been a very hard thing for me to do. Uh, we are all marketers and MBAs, and we are told, taught strategy and lead time and project management and stuff, right? But whenever I've been able to implement it, it has brought down my anxiety levels, made me more focused on task at hand, and it has worked for me. And one last thing, again, borrowed uh, wisdom is, and I I believe borrowed wisdom is the best from a guy called uh, Josh Kaufman. He's author of 20-hour, uh, some, something, something, you know, his, his point was, you don't need 10,000 hours to learn a skill, you need 20 hours. And the point he drives towards it, that when you're doing something, suppose you're picking a new skill, and it it is not really picking up a new skill. It could be like, okay, for example, I'm trying to create a new marketing campaign for something that I'm doing, right? I have to be cognizant of only two things, the end objective and the next step. And that is, that. I, for example, if I want to uh, launch an SEO for my blog, I don't really have to become an SEO expert. I have to define my goal. Okay, I want my blog to be featured on Google's first page in next five months. And then I work towards it. If I just say, okay, I'm to become an SEO expert, I'll spend the rest of my life doing it. Nothing will come out of it, right? So these are the things which help me in... Trying to balance day-to-day stuff, of course, and family support, and everything else. Obviously, is there.
0: Can I ask you a personal question? I I'm okay to skip it in the final edit, but uh, are you married? Do you have kids? I just want to chat. Of course,
1: yeah, 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 no problem. So I'm yeah married. I have two kids: a six and a half year old daughter, a five month old son. So he just he was born just before COVID started, and so my wife works. She's a corporate lawyer, and yeah, we stay with the family. So it's a joint family. Stay with my parents, in, yeah
0: nice so what is your uh, take on all this uh you know uh, this this content blast that has happened in as as an outcome of the covid uh, crisis everybody is doing content there is podcasts, news articles interviews happening around us so how do you sift noise and how do you find signal from all these uh various things happening around us so my
1: honest answer to what I think about it is, it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> it's great. It's like, if there are very some very smart people out there who are making some very good content. And obviously, some people are, some of the content maybe is not uh, up to, you know, that quality level. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people are creating a lot of content. Universities are going online, online courses, their prices are crashing, there's competition which is bringing prices down, so it's making education more affordable. In any case, we are moving in that direction, and this has accelerated—you uh, know—the crisis has accelerated the pace of innovation in that sense. Uh, but yeah, as a marketer, I would say, and as a as a person who very keenly consumes content, uh, pretty much every waking hour, I think it is great. It is uh, it is better to have a lot of content and then sift through it, rather than having more content and just sort of sit at home twiddling your thumb. That is one part. Uh, how does one uh, sift through it? Very straightforward, I would say. Uh, one is, I think you have to be very clear about what you want this content. Why do you want to consume this content you know, as, as, as a consumer? Yeah, so, so for me, it's very straightforward. So I think it boils down to why you want to consume this content. That is the first point. So maybe you want to consume some content for entertainment. So you have your Netflix and you have your Amazon and you have your Spotify. Maybe you want to consume some content for getting informed. So you have your news and you have your uh, all these, uh, you know, morning context and uh, your ken and everything, right? Then maybe there is uh, you want to get knowledge, information different from knowledge. So I'm segregating information knowledge. You want to have some knowledge. Within knowledge, again, you have to define what kind of skills you want to learn. You want to learn skills which are more static in nature, like psychology, like behavioral science, like physics, chemistry, maths. Or you want to learn skills which are more progressive and uh, agile in nature like digital marketing like uh, email writing like podcasting for that matter right so if you first define it then it becomes very easy to sort of uh, find out what content you want to consume and second the the second is you know the mantra for all product managers a b test you start watching something, you start seeing something, you like it, you do more of it. You don't like it, you stop it. As in, uh, I would say this. And of course, there are enough tools right now. I think people have to come up with aggregation websites on podcasts, on webinars, uh, on email uh, newsletters. So there are newsletters for newsletters. You know, so we never. I never thought 10 years back I'll see a world where there are newsletters, which collate other newsletters. So, but yeah. <laughs> That is the wor- world we live in but yeah I think the objective has to be clear. you need to be sure why you are doing
0: it. In fact, in fact uh, one of those uh, side hustles that I'm working on is actually this only that you know somebody is trying to create a newsletter of newsletters that you mentioned. so I am actually helping him uh, create the tool by giving him feedback so so I can relate to to what what, what you're saying. Got this. Cool. So tell me, as a marketeer, how has the world changed for you in the last four or five months after the COVID crisis?
1: Right. So uh, I think one of the things which has changed for us uh, is that we had to uh, redefine how we reach the customer. And given that uh, my primary job is uh, corporate branding and large, managing large brand assets which were all basically physical in nature. So, you know, I do concerts, it's a physical in nature. So then we had to find out a way to take that experience to people uh, through digital media, which had its challenges and its benefits. So that is one. So then we had to go back to the drawing board, think about what to do and how do we take, what is the experience we can create? It is impossible to recreate a physical experience digitally. That is something that, you know, I am like very sure about these days so what is the experience that we are giving the customer so that was one uh second of course is uh, one impact is that we are now jostling much more for attention share with our customers than we were doing earlier uh and in an again to use jargon we live in an attention economy if you don't have attention then you're pretty much out of stock and out of shelf and out of money in the company shuts them essentially, right? So uh, the jostle or the struggle for customers' attention has increased a lot more uh, digitally, I would say, uh, than it was earlier. So we had to rethink the entire digital strategy as to how can we appeal to someone uh, in, a, in a in a better way. Uh, so we had to sharpen our USP, uh, we have to find simpler ways of consuming. So, in fact, a lot of our communication uh, at HCL Concerts has now become very simple. We realize, you know, uh, simple is better right now. So, we have made it very simple. We also decided to make it more positive. So, that is something that has helped us. And uh, we also realized that frequency is of high importance right now. Because attention share is essentially message into frequency, right? So... Message became simpler. Uh, we had to significantly improve our frequency of digital concerts, or number of times we are able to touch our customers. So that changed. That being said, given that ours is a brand, thankfully we were able to migrate to digital quickly. Unlike, say, a hospitality brand or a, you know a real estate brand or a mall sort of a brand, we now understand our customer much better. You know, so that has been one of the positives which came out of it. You know, all the data that we're able to collect, all the our feedback loop has become very short. If people like something, they'll tell us upfront. Uh, it just takes a Facebook comment or a Facebook DM. If people don't like something, they'll come and sort of tell us that. So our feedback loop became shorter. So our product has improved much more uh, than we could have probably improved in, say, two three years.
0: Got this. So tell me what opportunities do you see uh... Uh, getting created uh, as the aftermath of the crisis for marketeers, for brands, uh, for entrepreneurs, because you seem to be enjoying a lot of these side hustles. So what do you think are the, some opportunities that people can look at? So I think
1: one opportunity is right in front of us. You know, uh, one is aggregation. So people have become aggregators, right? So that seems to be you yourself that, you know, talking about newsletters, right? So with so much content being around, curation uh, as a service, You know, we have had uh, infrastructure as a service, we have had platform as a service, but curation as a service is going to become more and more important. Uh, So that is one opportunity, which I think a lot of market is tapping into. Uh, The other opportunity is, of course, uh, any is, of course, on a digital media, right? So if you are an agency or a person who can help me better understand my customers digitally, and i have been approached by many firms offer you know which have you know given some uh, tools or something around this you know processes around this to help understand customers better that is a huge opportunity which is there and all and if you are if you are a if you're an entrepreneur which is into digital transformation and uh, making it easy for large companies to adopt the digital tools uh, because as you would know you know large companies struggle to up digital tools or to you know use things with digital because complex structures different rules and regulations policies legalities and all right so if there's a way you can break those silos and make it very easy for them to start using this thing great opportunity over there uh net net i would say that if you can the fundamentals of being an entrepreneur or being uh you know being a solution provider have not really changed. You still have to find a large enough problem to solve. You still have to persevere with it for, uh, you know, for as long as it takes to make money. You still have to find customers. You still have to find product market fit. The nature of products may change. Uh, You may be doing more digital than you may be doing physical, but I don't think fundamentally things have changed uh, to that extent in fact i could relate my uh, behavioral science experience to this you know there were lots of discussions uh, in the in the first phase of i would say you know this thing in around march and april where people are talking about using behavioral science to create long term change in behavior see that is the holy grail of behavioral science if you can create a process which can create long term behavior change and if you can put it in a framework or a process and you can product productize it there will really be the companies flocking to you, you know, just to buy that model or to for you to lease it to them or you know
0: uh, rent it to them so that they can also use it. So give any examples in your mind. Do you can you think of any example? Uh,
1: the best-selling author and Stanford prof uh, Nir Eyal. He created this framework, Hooked. The entire premise of Hooked is that it will take an extrinsic trigger and convert it into an intrinsic trigger, so that that behavior that you are doing becomes a habit. Habit means it becomes effortless for you. That is his definition of habit. You know, it becomes effortless. So imagine companies like uh, Netflix or Uber or you know whatever, uh, they'll be happy to pick up a uh, you know a framework or a model like this, which gives actionable uh, insights into. I, okay, you do these ten steps. There's a fifty percent chance or ninety five percent chance or whatever that these percentage of your customers will habitually start using your product six months down the line provided you give them x y and z stimuli so if you're able to structure your product like this uh, there will be people who will be running to your doors to sort of do this that being said long term behavior changes again something which has been very difficult for even the best of behavioral scientists to implement uh that, that and the fundamental reason for that is uh, the biggest bias of uh, human beings, and I say it because people differ from me, it's called a status quo bias. We are very happy where we are. We don't want to change, right? Status quo bias is something which stopped internet from coming, which posts challenges in the way podcasts are listened, right? Uh, Which posted challenges when YouTube was launched. Hey, who's going to watch this, right? So status quo bias. So that is one bias which stops a lot of good things from happening, and in the initial part of this crisis there was a lot of discussion around using behavioral science for example to create interventions for example people will wear masks you know uh, long-term behavior change. you know we don't know when the vaccine will come out so if you're stepping out you have to wear a mask right now right the techniques have had limited efficacy so far and even at this point of time when the numbers in india are not going down and uh, uh you know they, they we don't have a vaccine right now my anecdotal observation is 30 to 40 percent of people who used to earlier wear a mask are no longer wearing a mask when they're going out for a variety of reasons yeah for a, for a variety of reasons they're exercising or they're feeling suffocated they forgot they felt oh what COVID? you know it's like it's going to happen it's going to happen right so all those things are uh, there so as I was saying to alter fundamental human behavior status quo bias is a very fundamental human behavior to alter that is a huge task so there is a huge debate right now happening in behavior science circle that you know will this pandemic change us fundamentally Uh, I am in the camp which says that it will not change us fundamentally uh, there are people who are saying it will change fundamentally, but uh, yeah, uh, so that is where we are.
0: Got this. Um, so, so the next question is, tell me if, if you are a middle-level manager right now, marketing manager, let's say uh, you are at the top of the pyramid, right? If somebody was, let's say, six years, seven years out of B-school and they want to figure out what could they learn so that they could become a marketing lead like yourself, for example. So what all could they be doing? so i would say uh,
1: the concept of t shaped marketer is still not out of fashion it's still pretty much in fashion right uh, at this point of time i would say there are uh, of course you need to have your fundamentals of marketing crystal one of my one of my issues that i face at times with uh, some of the younger marketers is that you know there is a lot of focus on jargons like growth hacking growth marketing uh you know all other things but not so much on the fundamentals like 4ps people think 4ps are outdated there's nothing like outdated you know nothing i mean how can you say product and pricing are outdated they're pretty much in vogue, right but uh, to uh, give a shorter reply to your question i would say there are two things that the marketer should really uh, focus on right now and again these are two different things if you are the type of person who enjoys uh, more unstructured uh, you know environment experimenting and taking more risks i would say go for uh, courses and go for learning which are more focused on growth marketing and customer acquisition because that has been one of the responses you know that companies have given to this pandemic you know they have tried to acquire more customers because you feel your current customers are going to reduce wallet share or they're going to drop out so you have tried all companies have pretty much tried to acquire new customers By whatever means, you know, more marketing, less marketing, whatever. So that's growth marketing. The other sphere is uh, something which we call conversion rate optimizations, which includes things like uh, landing page optimization, revenue optimization, you know. That's a whole science in itself. And uh, that is the kind of science we fall back on in bad times. Because if you don't have, for example, you are part of a company where you don't have uh, money to spend, so then you go back to drawing board, you optimize the existing set of customers and their behavior. So that's the other thing. If people can, there are a variety of courses again on both that you can do. So I would say if you have to go deep, you go deep on one of these. But you have your fundamental, which is the top priority, uh, clear. You need to understand how a website works, how social media works, how you know marketing fundamentals work.
0: Got this. And, and tell me, uh, so tell me, what are your, some favor, some of your favorite gadgets, you know, as a marketeer and let me make it more work, work, uh, per se as a, as a, as a marketeer, what gadgets do you rely on to sort of, uh,
1: um... I'm very straightforward. I have a phone and I have a laptop and that pretty much takes care of everything That's that it? I need to do. Uh, there was a time five years back when I used to invest a lot in gadgets and then i realized uh, it's not about the tool it's about the process so if i'm running a process correctly uh, all dashboards everything you know uh, google has a uh, as an app google analytics has an app facebook analytics has an app right uh quora has a mobile friendly website reddit has an app so pretty much everywhere i where i want to advertise or where i want to talk to my customers gives an app which runs nicely on my phone and if i want to do something fancier i have my laptop so uh, that's pretty much that so i know a boring answer but uh, that is pretty much that i'm going right
0: with actually well, there is no i mean there is no uh, boring answer or not boring answer it's just a question that uh, that that a lot of my readers lead- want to get answered uh, that you know how do these marketeers sort of keep them abreast about of, of what is happening in the world yeah, so uh, sort of just to just to add one more point
1: uh, so How a marketer can get abreast of this thing is, I mean, sort of tangential answer and probably a very cliched answer, but you have to talk to your customers. Like that is the only thing, right? You can use a laptop to study data patterns. You can use a phone to study Facebook analytics. It will not work beyond the point because all the data analytics basically regress towards mean. They are out of contact, so what we do in data analytics, you know, we strip out the context and we look at numbers, right? I am a firm believer in concept of thick data and not only big data. Thick data is all the anecdotes, all the, you know, uh, the context, all the, especially in India, you know, India is a very culturally sensitive place, right? So something which Saurabh likes may offend Rohit because of just being from Delhi and Bombay, you know, as simple as that, right? So, uh, that is something so you talking to customers face to face observing what they're doing in their daily lives especially the context in which they're operating you know so uh, for me when i do excel concerts online it is very important to understand and we have actually done a whole study and try to understand this what are the different contexts in which people listen to this you know are they listening to this at their office at their home Are they listening to it with their family around? So the entire family listen to it. Are they listening to it as a background noise or as foreground? All these things help us. But you only get to know when you're talking to people. There's no other way. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: Got this. Got this. So that's an interesting one, right? Nobody else has sort of spoken to me about thick data and it's an interesting way to look at things. Uh, do you want to build more on this? I mean, if you have content, we can build more on this. Otherwise, we can yeah, again, skip it. It's interesting for me. Yeah,
1: so this is again a borrowed concept. As you can see, you know, uh, if you can't make something yourself, I don't know, some quote about stealing or inspiration or whatever. But this is this a borrowed concept. Uh, there's this uh, very famous researcher called Tricia Wong, if I'm not mistaken. And she, run, she is a tech ethnographer. And she coined this term thick data and i happened to see her video at nudge stock uh, which is a you know congregation of all the behavioral scientists this was a 2018 edition i think it was a 19 i forget and she talks about the same thing you know uh, she coined this term and thick data essentially means putting a layer of context emotions and culture on top of your big data and then Using that to make decisions, you know, so in the age of performance marketing and clicks and thinking if a customer, so it's like this, you know, uh, many people, a lot of people tell me that uh, if someone has liked my Facebook page, that means they like HCL concepts, right? And And this is how Facebook has been selling this liker campaign for the longest time. And, you know, my response is usually the reverse. I said, no, that is not how the causality works. They like HCL concerts. That is why they have liked my page. Right. So there is a subtle but profound difference. Right. So think Data is about getting that context, emotions, right. So uh, it, that is something which we lose in Big Data Analytics. And it basically goes down to ethnographic studies. You go and sit with, stay with your customers. You observe how they work. You observe how they use your product, you know, what challenges they you understand their culture sensitivities, you take all of that out uh, and then, so it's going beyond FGDs and one-on-one interviews. You actually sit and live their life. That
0: is what they get about. Got this. I, I got this. That's interesting. So in fact, this is something that I will go back home and read more on to be honest, but it's an interesting piece that you brought up. I never knew about this, funnily. But uh, coming back, so tell me, uh, you've done you've done your share of podcasts, and you've have done enough interviews and more uh, around around the internet. So tell me the toughest question that somebody has ever asked you, you know, in your life.
1: Toughest question? Uh, this is itself a very tough question to answer, actually. <laughs> 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 but on. Yeah. So, on a on a more uh, serious note, I think I did one interview where I think I was asked uh, to uh, answer, and this I have been asked to answer a couple of uh, podcasts. In fact, like, how will marketing look five years from now?
0: Wow. <laughs> okay. Right.
1: Yeah. It's it may seem like a very simple question to answer, but if you are genuinely trying to answer it. It is very, very difficult to answer this question because if if I had answered this in uh, August of 2019, my answer would be very different from what I would answer right now, right? So uh, people think that it's an easy question to answer, you know, Thoda, we'll get some gyan out of this person. But to genuinely and uh, answer it with all honesty, I have always struggled and I still struggle to answer this question.
0: Got this. And what is that one question that you always wished somebody asked you in a, in an interview, but they've never asked that question to you? You've already asked it in some way, but
1: I will. Uh, I'll so I'll just ask it. Uh, is uh, how to become a better marketer? You know, uh, a lot of people confuse marketing with advertising, uh, which is the way you know uh, social media has made us understand, or LinkedIn sort of makes us feel. But uh, marketing is obviously uh, much, much bigger than advertising, right? Not advertising in in itself small, right? Marketing, obviously, you are a marketer and you understand this, right? So not enough people ask this question as how to become a better marketer.
0: Mm -hmm. So give me like a two or three bullet point answer to this question all over again so that I can just say bullet point one, bullet point two.
1: How to become a better marketer?
0: Yeah. So two three bullets one you take
1: very keen interest in people second bullet point read as much as you can non-marketing stuff so not Kotler not Keller not Acker, non-marketing stuff as much as you can third take copious notes when you are reading and refer back to them whenever you can Fourth, I would say, is uh, be very agile and learn product management. Sorry, project management. So, uh, fourth is learn project management because a lot of marketeers are terrific at creativity. They are terrific at finding solutions. But marketing is almost 50% project management and 50% rest of the stuff, right? So, that's it.
0: Got this. So, in fact, uh, you uh, you sort of prompted me for the next question that you that uh, that I have already. So, what are some unconventional ways to learn about marketing? Like some some of the guests have told me that they like to watch movies, they like to do uh, go to the coffee shops. So, what are some of your unconventional ways to uh, learn about marketing?
1: So, one as I said, you know, I uh, try to read as wide and as diverse as possible, and most of these are blog posts and podcasts. Uh, because reading diverse set of books are difficult, uh, so I try to do that, uh, and within that, I have some favorites. As I said, Fernam Street is one favorite, and there are other websites which I try to read. So reading wide and diverse set helps. Uh, the other unconventional uh, thing that I have uh, seen, again, it's um, is so. Uh, one of the other ways is to observe transactions very carefully, right? So it could be a transaction that you are doing on a website. It could be a transaction that you are doing at a Kirana store. It could be something you're buying at a large, large store, retail chain. It could be anything, you know, maybe some elder is handing you some money on some festival, right? Because fundamentally, all marketing boils down to getting people to transact. If you're not transacting my marketing is not really helping right because i want you to do something to do some transaction right by observing a variety of transactions and understanding the nuanced differences between these transactions has helped me a lot and i'll give you an example you know if we have time for this i'll give you a quick example so when i was in asian paints uh we used to go to these retailers you know like do sales call and go to these retailers i used to cover some 10 20 retailers every day with the sales executive so i was like trainee and there was an executive who was telling me how to do sales so and I, we used to go to this guy who was a big retailer and there was always a crowd at his uh store you know like there were some 10 people jostling for space and these are painters you know so paints is like we, you and i don't go and buy paint painters buy paint we tell them which paint to buy right jostling for space and fighting with each other and he was very slow in serving them he'll take his time pick up his stuff you know and, and it's like i'm sure he can serve his customers better yeah? this is terrible customer service i was specially minted mba you know full of energy and uh incorrect notions about how how i will change the world right so i was like, this is terrible customer service he should improve his customer service and the guy's like no sir that's not how it works this guy has understands that there are 10 shops so, how this works is, you know, paint shops are in a certain part of the market. There are 3, 4, 5 shops. Yeah, there's a market. Right. Right. yeah. So, if he will serve them very quickly, they will leave the counter very quickly. So, that means at some point, the counter will be empty. So The painters who coming will see an empty counter and think, Oh my God, this shop is empty counter? It's not a good shop. No one wants to buy from here. Just because there is crowd at his counter, people think this is a popular shop. And any new painter who will come will obviously come to a popular shop. Then to a new shop. Yeah, right? I understand. This is something in behavioral science system, I'll say it is social proof in some sense, right? Because he's getting more people at his counter. Now, it's something I observe very early on, and then I could see people like Big Bazaar and all have implemented this. You know, there are case studies on Big Bazaar implementing something like this, right? So, transaction, you know, I observed this, and there are times when I've used it in my life. So, again, uh, you have to observe transactions.
0: Mm-hmm. Got this. So, uh, in fact, big bazaar. I have mentioned. Yeah. In fact, when I read somewhere, I don't know where it was, that uh, the entire idea of keeping the the aisles, uh, you know, crowded in big bazaar was to give the feeling of a typical bazaar to a housewife that goes to big bazaar. Right? Are you mentioning about that? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they had people, you know, standing on top of containers with
1: megaphones, shouting, you know, this is sale is happening and all, just to make people feel comfortable at there. You know, they're a familiar place. Got this.
0: So uh, last two questions, I'm running out of time, but last two questions. A is that, tell me, if is there any message or branded initiative that you saw uh, around COVID that you really liked as a marketeer? You know, you you could have said, I not Is there a campaign like that that you saw? So I saw a bunch of things. I uh, really love the ones where the
1: company, instead of doing advertisement, focus more on programs. So there were all those nice uh, gestures by companies by splitting their logos and inverting their logos and all that fancy stuff, which were great. But frankly, it was important only for the marketer to do it, not for the customer. But there were companies like uh, Louis, like Louis Vuitton, which converted their uh, you know uh, factories to uh, actually create uh, hand sanitizers, right? Then companies like Asian Paints, which was my former employer. Literally overnight, they started creating uh, hand sanitizers and now they have this whole range of hand sanitizers as surface cleaners. They had no idea how to make it. They ramped up their knowledge, they made it, right? The companies like Pretmanger uh, in US, which said, you know, all the frontline health workers, they will get meals and coffee free. I think those are the things which really attracted my attention. I felt that you know uh, I wish I could do that, uh, you, you know, or uh, which inspired me to do some. We did something of that sort in our work also. But those are things which inspired me rather than just messaging.
0: Okay, uh, and the last question uh, that I have uh, is that you know if you were to, if I asked to throw open a marketing challenge to the listeners of the podcast, uh, let's see what I guess they can come up with. What would that challenge be?
1: Challenge as in uh, prob- like a business problem.
0: Yes, marketing problem, business problem, whatever you want to call it. So,
1: this is top of my mind right now, but uh, how, like create, I would say if they can create a marketing program to get people to start booking Airbnbs again, I think that is going to be uh, an, in, an interesting and also economically important problem to solve so if my if anyone wants to give it a shot and if they send if they send it to Airbnb if it works I'm sure they'll get hired. So uh, yeah, that's that's the thing uh, for me right
0: now. That's that's amazing, especially when they are like uh, thinking about getting back to you know they are trying to file up for an IPO also. I don't know if you track them or not, but in the US they are trying to file for an IPO. Yes, so yes, let's they see. They what... are, in fact, yeah, it's been
1: derailed a bit because of this, but they have a bigger problem, right? They're not a hotel chain. You have much more. In a hotel chain, right? So you're going to like someone's house. So, how do you ensure, you know? Again, so it's a,
0: it's a layer challenge,
1: but to crack that, it will be a great marketing company
0: Got this. Amazing. So, I think these are the questions I have, Rohit. If there is any question that you think I should be asking you, and I'll ask that question, and we can include that. But more or less, this is what I have. Do you have anything else to sort of that I should have asking you? Yeah. In fact, I wanted to ask you a question.
1: So, I don't know if you want to retain this as part of your. Uh, yeah,
0: we could Batao na.
1: Please why you are doing this podcast and where do you see this podcast going?
0: okay so what i also was trying to do along the side is that uh when we started this podcasting company so marketing podcast is just one podcast that we do we have some seven eight other podcasts on air right now and we are trying to create a podcasting network so, uh, so when we did this podcasting company and we did research to understand what content will be available and will be useful to 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 our listeners, a lot of people said that you know a lot of people are stuck at middle management roles. I mean, look at yourself, right? A 2007 batch of I am now. I am 2006 batch of MDI. So, uh, out of 50 people that passed out in marketing from my batch, not more than two or three are now CMOS. Uh, Everybody else is struggling at a middle-level marketing range, marketing sort of a role. Yeah,
1: that jump is very difficult. Yeah, look
0: at your batchmates, right? I, I don't know how many people are in the marketing cohort in your time, but but not more than 10% would be at the top of the uh, hierarchy. So, so a lot of people get stuck. And they said that, can we talk to the CMOs and understand, ki, yaar, how do I uh, get a promotion? Like, what do I do? What is it that I'm doing wrong? So we wanted to create a content uh, piece that gave uh, some gyan to these uh, these these uh, uh, mid-level marketeers, not to people like me and you, but to people who are like 5-6 years out of B-School. So in fact, when we do a serious uh, conversation around a business, like for example I spoke to Vivek Sharma of Light. so a lot of, and he was okay to share content about how Light goes about marketing so a lot of questions to him were about if you're a junior 5-year-old, 5, purana, 5 sal, uh, junior, what you do? So those questions are lot very useful to to to, uh, to the listeners. So that's the serious on the record answer that I give to uh, my guests. I mean a lot of guests ask me this question. Uh, that's one part of the question that you had. The second part that you had was what is the vision with this uh, podcast? So answer is uh, again simplest simple answer. Uh, we want to uh, and it's a it's a audacious uh, uh, goal that we have. We want to become uh, a better version of AFAX, E4M. Uh, and so on and so forth. So we will become a marketing media, and not just with this marketing connect, but every podcast that we are trying to create, we the ambition is to create a a publication or a media outlet for that uh, niche. So this is a marketing niche that I'm talking about. There is a podcast on on uh, on entrepreneurship. There is a podcast on HR. There is a podcast on careers. So for each, we will into a community of sorts wherein we'll do content and we'll do meetups in fact for marketing podcasts we will do an event at the end of the year i don't know when that will happen but we will do a physical event whenever that happens 2021 or whatever and in that uh, event we will do like a ted kind of event of an event wherein we'll do master classes workshops and and probably take on a design yatra or a khan's um you know so it's a long-term vision uh this is very, very early days. In fact, you are the only guest to have asked me the vision for uh, for, for this business and and I'm glad that uh, uh, I can articulate, articulate for you. So that's a motor motor vision. Yaar. I don't know how it's okay, how not. So thank you Rohit. It was great having you on the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for taking your time out. It took us a lot of time to coordinate for this but I'm glad I could catch up with you. Great insights. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Saurabh. It was really worth it and uh, I look forward to be on this podcast uh, sometime in future once
0: more. Thank you so much. Super. You just heard the latest episode of the Marketing Connect podcast, a show for marketeers by marketeers. The show was brought to you by C4E and The podium